everybody. Welcome in. Hope you guys have been well. I'm, uh, I've been doing as good as I can. Finally healing up from, uh, from the injury that took me out last week. So hope you guys have been doing well. It's been a while. It's been exactly one week since I've seen you guys. So it's nice to be back. I'm glad to be here. Um, and boy, do we have a lot to cover because a lot of politics has been going on and, uh, you guys been missing out on the beard. So what time is better than now to, to have me return and to talk to you guys about what's been going on in the world of politics and uh, maybe even a little bit of social issues that have been going on. Uh, if you guys have never been here before, my name is Jason Line, Mr. America, the Bearded Truth. I am your neighborhood-friendly libertarian, talking to you about politics and social issues that uh, mostly centered around the country, but also around the world a little bit. Um, trying to bring you to the ideas that the, the individual is what's important and bring you, bring you to, to, to the side that maybe the collective, if we just worry about the collective, will hurt the individual, and that doesn't make the collective better in itself. Um, so I've got a lot, of, a lot of content that's going to be coming out tonight. I hope you guys are excited, as I am, oh, I am always excited. Um, I want to give a big thank you to Muddy Waters Media for allowing me to come onto their platform and use it and abuse it and, and to share my, my words, my thoughts, my opinions on things. Um, if you guys want to check them out, make sure you guys are, are checking them out on all of their platforms. They're on YouTube. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Stitcher, they're on uh, iTunes, they're everywhere. And uh, you can always find us at muddywatersoffreedom.com. Um, you'll see me, you'll see Mike, or Spike, and you'll see Matt. I always, I always get those two and uh, put them into one. Uh, they're, they're the best, uh, what's, the, what's the word, contraction that you can have, the, the mics, if you will. Um, make sure to send that their way after the, after the show. But tonight we've got a lot to talk about. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the Mueller report. Uh, there's been uh, there's been a blockage. There's been a blockage from Rand Paul, and then of course when Rand Paul does something all on his own, he's just the most atrocious person ever. So we got to get into that, of course. Uh, President Trump has been saying a lot of things lately, uh, such as what the title as the title goes. Wind power's been uh, one of his biggest gaffes, if you will, or or even uh, some truth behind that. So we got to we got to dig into that because energy is a huge topic here in this country and it's one that's deserving of a of of some some discussions um joe biden's got to make the news because as we've all known for the longest time that joe biden is not necessarily the the person that's coming out and waiting for consent to do things he's he's kind of on the edge of things and he doesn't care how many cameras are focused on him when he does stuff and so that has led to um uh, a, a lot, a litany of people coming out um, against him, and so we gotta we gotta cover that story, of course. Um, there's a, <clears throat> I, I don't know if we're gonna talk about that. Uh, electoral college is being brought up. Oh uh, yeah, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, electoral college is being brought up. There's a, a Democrat who is coming out to in, introduce legislation to abolish the electoral college. You know that college that uh, Alexander Ocasio Cortez hopes loses in the sweet 16. Um, but she doesn't even know that we're in the final four. Um, we're also going to be talking a little bit about, uh, one of the GOP members said, shut up during a heated Obamacare debate. So that made the news. So we got to talk about that as well. Is it warranted to say, shut up to another Congress person when they're just getting in your way? We'll get into that. Um, Buddha judge, 
Buddha Judge is a is a, another topic that we're going to be talking about a little bit. He's the currently ranked number three in the Democratic race um, at a mere eleven percent. Why is that so important? Well, because it's so early, and there's there's some high hopes for this individual. So we'll get into him a little bit as well. Um, Oh man, I, I realize we're just going to keep going on with these topics, but but we got a lot tonight. So I missed Friday's night show. We got Monday night tonight. So we're gonna we're gonna jam pack this full. We're gonna be hitting topics left and right, uh, whether it's hitting the left, hitting the right, accepting the left, accepting the right. Doesn't matter. We're gonna be talking about them all. Uh, Pentagon is sending one billion dollars to go towards Trump's border wall. Uh, Russians are going down to Venezuela. Uh, Emmanuel Macron over there in France is. Talking about, hey, look, French soldiers, you guys want to shoot on those yellow vests? Go ahead. Um, we got Obamacare or Affordable Care Act coming up again. One of the, the rulings that we covered uh, probably about two months ago now from the Texas judge, that's going to get brought up again because that's important. And, of course, we have to talk about the, the two big flubs that Alexander Ocasio-Cortez did uh, recently. So, of course, on the Twitter platform, we had to tag her to make sure that she could hear just of how stupid she is um, in hindsight. Um, hope you guys have been doing well. Biden is gone. Biden is gone. Buddha judge. Yes. Uh, Buddha judge is spelled. Let me, let me pull that up. It's B U T T I G I E G Buddha judge. Uh, the spelling is given from his husband. He is, uh, I think one of the things that's bringing him up is the fact that he is a gay man. He is a married gay man. And so it does hit that identity politics. Unlike those, those old white men, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, who've been leading the pack, leading the pack of overcrowded Democratic candidates. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, for sure. Um, so I want to first start off with the Mueller report because this has been a big hubbub. This has been a big point of, of contention for a lot of people. How much are we going to trust? How, how honest is it? Um, how is it all going to function? Um, as things unfold, it it's really is what a lot of people have been calling in. It's a big, giant nothing burger. And uh, good old Rachel Maddow over there at MS, MSNBC has already learned that she's not exactly uh, as good as her staffers are. So um, I want to first start off with this part with Rachel Maddow. So she's sitting there. She's talking to people. She's talking to, to her viewers. She's sitting in front of the camera doing her show, doing her thing. And uh, she's like, I cannot believe that William Barr is getting to sit there by himself working through the entire 400 pages of the Mueller report. And uh being able to to go through all of that just on his on his own after he's been nominated and uh, by President Trump and been appointed by by the Senate, how does he get the authority and and the responsibility of going through this all on his own? Meanwhile, across the little chiron in the bottom, her staff, the people that are supporting her show that are helping her out, put the special investigation. The Robert Mueller team, if you will, Robert Mueller and team and company and everyone associated with them are helping William Barr go through this. So it's not like as if William Barr is coming out and going, ah, I'm just going to omit this part. I'm going to take this part out. I'm going to add this flamboyant stuff in there. No, he's working in line with the special investigation. So the same special investigation or uh, the same crew that Rachel Maddow was like, these guys are going to take down Trump running the conspiracy theory for, for the last two years. Um, They're a part of this whole entire release uh, of making sure that the information that needs to be redacted, whether it's the, the classified information, the intelligence or uh, the president 
uh, executive authority of, of what he says in, in private conversations is technically classified. Having all that information being redacted has been is one of the utmost importances for William Barr as well as for the special investigation, right? Because there's obviously uh, uh, legislative issues um, when you go through that. So they're working through that together right now to push this out. And Rachel Maddow ignores the facts once again, ignores what's actually going on and, and pushing this, the stupid narrative once again. And it's just amazing that even her staff sees through and is like, no, we're just going to put the truth out. If you're going to watch the Rachel Maddow show and, and I have to give a shout out to my mother-in-law, she used to be a huge Rachel Maddow fan. She used to be, thankfully she she's gone, but she's left that road probably about a year ago now. Um, but if you watch her, just read the Chiron, just put the TV on mute, just, just put a blanket over the top and just read the Chiron. You'll get better news. You'll get more factual news um, that way. But we'll go back to Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. He blocked a resolution calling for special counsel Robert Mueller's report to be made public, arguing that Congress should also call for the release of communications and testimony from Obama-era officials. That's right. He's saying, look, let's release it all. Let's push all of it out there. When it comes to this, why is it important that Rand Paul blocked this? Because the way that this was being pushed through, she tried to get a unanimous consent for the Senate to pass the resolution, which had already cleared the House in a 420 uh, to zero vote earlier this month. So all she needed was for all 100 senators to go, yeah, let's release this. Rand Paul stood in the way and said, no, no, no. If you guys want to talk about transparency, if you guys want to actually push out the truth out there to the people, and you want to release all this stuff, let's do it for real. Let's push all the information out there. Let's see who, who should be indicted. Let's see who should be criminally um, accused. And let's see. Let's get to the bottom of this. Was there malfeasance? Was there mal- uh, malice in the way that the Obama era uh, officials were working on this in order to orchestrate, in order to help, in order to support the Russian dossier, in order to support uh, the Russians from getting involved in, 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 uh, during the election as, the, uh, as they've been accused of doing, which we know that they have, of course. They did, they did a little bit of Facebook um, posting and a little bit of sharing and a little bit of boosting their posts. Um, but as, as those reports go, it was a couple thousand people that really got to see that information. Not a huge issue, not a huge thing. The main objective of Russia, of course, was to create division. But nonetheless, right? So Rand Paul is standing there, and this is where Rand Paul is one of the best people in Congress right now, is that he stands up and he says, let's do it for real. Let's actually let's let's actually mean what we say and do what we say. Let's actually come out and push for some transparency. Let's see whose heads needs to be rolling. Let's see, let's see who needs to be hung out there to dry, and let's actually push this information. Um, it's amazing to see. Oh, I'm glad, Dave Hunter. I'm glad that he's growing on you. Um, it, it's amazing to see Rand Paul come out here. And what you're seeing from the Democrats is, oh, Rand Paul is just a Russian uh, He's just a Russian puppet. He doesn't want to see this stuff get released. He, he just, he's just a trumpet. He's just a Russian puppet. He's just there. Just, you know, bullshit. Uh, bullshit. Rand Paul has been there since the beginning. He's been like, look, let's have this information be released. Let's have everything released. Let's let's work through this. He is one of the most principled people there in Congress. Uh, probably the most principled person there in Congress. Uh, he's got a couple flukes. He's got a couple flaws, but he's he's one of the most. And so him standing here 
the left can't handle it. How dare you go after Obama? Obama's not a part of this. He's not. Let's slow down on this a little bit. We knew that that even before President Trump was elected in office, before he was elected, we knew that the, the Russian interference was coming. This was reported upon in 2015. This was reported on in 2014. We knew that this was coming in the Obama administration and, and officials did nothing about it. As soon as President Trump was elected, the insurance policy came into effect. They had to come in. They had to hit it. Everyone was out there. They were orchestrated. They wanted to run with the same narrative that President Trump was was pushed in by Russia, and it was orchestrated by Russia, and they're working together. He's a part of the Kremlin. He's working with them and, and pushing this huge, giant uh, uh, orchestrated narrative. And so it would be nice to see all of this information be released. So, Rand Paul, thank you so much for being who you are, and, and it's great it's great to see somebody out there actually fighting to, to release the truth and not just do it on partisan lines because Rand Paul is not a Republican, right? He, he has a Republican next to his name, but he's not one of the Republicans. He's not one of the good guys that's in the, in the Republican party that's fighting for the party. No, he's fighting for the American people, right? He's been doing this uh, pretty routinely. He's not as great as father, but he is still a good guy. He's still one of the best there in Congress right now. And this is one of those points where you just got to stand up and applaud the man. You got to applaud the man for this. Ugh. We go from the greatness of, of what Rand Paul is doing for the Mueller investigation and that whole entire uh, nothing burger, that whole entire disruption of normal, everyday, destructive politics. Um, we're going to move on from that over to the inappropriate touching from <laughs> Joe Biden himself. So Lucy Flores, a former Democratic candidate for Nevada lieutenant governor, on Friday accused – this was two Fridays ago – Nope, sorry, last Friday, 29th. Uh, she accused Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden of inappropriately touching her from when they were on the campaign rally on two, in 2014. So Joe Biden has been talking about, he's been making making hints at the idea and of coming out and running for president. He was Vice President for, for eight years under Obama. He was well-liked, he was loved because he was attached to Obama. He's got some. He's got some. Some attachment. He's got some name. Name recognition. He's got a lot of the things that are going to help him get support. One of the things that didn't help him was the fact that every time that there's a press conference, every time there's an award ceremony, every time that there's a woman in the vicinity of him and a camera was there, you could see Joe Biden doing something just that makes your skin crawl. Just makes you want to go. What are you doing? it's it's almost upsetting of how many men were in that area that didn't step up and go, Joe, stop touching her. Stop touching her. She's eight. She's 13. She's 24. She's 30. She's 50. She's your age. It doesn't matter who they were, how old they were. If there was a woman and they were standing next to Joe Biden, he was touching them in some capacity. And, and so Lucy Flores, former Democratic candidate for Nevada or Nevada lieutenant governor on Friday accused him. That was that was the big one, right? That was the first one that came out, hit him hard, and uh, of course, this has been kind of a non-issue for a lot of Democrats, except for the Democrats that are they got a smaller name that that wants to they want to blow up. So you got the Kamala Harris fans, you got the Cory Brooker fans, you've got the Yang Gang bros. Uh, the Yang Gangs are coming out there, but if if they've been a, a big Obama supporter in the past, they're going to be a big. 
uh, Biden supporter now just merely by the connection. And so those people are just ignoring this and they're fighting, fighting, having this, this news be brought up. And they're like, look, it's one accusation, despite all of the video evidence and everything else out there. Um, so then we come up to today and a second woman claims that Biden once touched her inappropriately. A Connecticut woman said Monday that Joe Biden touched her inappropriately and rubbed noses with her while at a 2009 political fundraiser in Greenwich. The second such allegation against former vice president in the past week, it wasn't sexual, but he did grab me by the head. I don't know why you grab people by the head, but Joe Biden will grab anything uh, if it's got a woman attached to it. He put his hand around my neck and pulled me in to rub noses with me. Then he was pulling me in. I thought he was going to kiss me on the mouth. She was a congressional aide to uh, Rep. Jim Himes at the, at the time, first posted about the alleged incident under their pseudonym in a Facebook group called Connecticut Women in Politics on Sunday. She said that she never filed a complaint about the interaction, but believes Biden crossed the line. Yeah, I mean, if you're pulling somebody in to do something with – like, is it really this difficult? Like, is it really difficult for a person to go, hey, should I – get kind of a, a, a good feeling that somebody wants me to touch them before I touch them? Should, or, or should we just go out there and just grab onto people as we want, as we see fit, grab them by the head, grab them by the shoulders, squeeze them, touch them, rub my nose on them. Like this is just, this is just the stuff that, that really does make your skin crawl. And in the moment of me too, it's just amazing of how many Democrats out there are going, nah, it's not a story. It's not an issue. This is an issue. This is an issue. He's running for president of the United States. And if you want to go back and you want to hate on Trump, and, and certainly, right, the, the comments that Trump has made in private conversations are disgusting. This guy was doing it in public. In public. He has no shame. He has no regard. He doesn't care. What he wants to do is what he wants to do. So if you want to hold that standard against President Trump for the conversations he's made in private, you need to hold this guy, his feet to the fire for what he does in public. Is it is it really that far fetched? Is it really that far out of bounds? That that that's oh, this can't be it. This can't be it. Uncle Touchy wants your vote. <laughs> oh man, it, uh, it 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 wasn't just adults. It wasn't people his age. It's people of, of across the age spectrum. And and I'm sorry, I, I got to put this out there. Gender is not on a spectrum. Ages certainly are. Um, you could be trans, and that's fine, right? It's if you have gender dysphoria and you're transgender, I have no problem with that. But we can at least all acknowledge that there's there's two genders. But there's 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 ages ages across across the spectrum, and and he doesn't matter. I, I don't know what the youngest that Joe Biden has touched, but I'm sure it's not. Ugh. I, I know for a fact it's not within the legal limits. You know what I'm saying? Um, so. These are things that that Democrats really gotta really gotta own up to. If you're gonna be a, a, a proud supporter of the Me Too movement, and then certainly there's there's well good justified reasons to be a part of the Me Too movement and be like, I'm against sexual um, assault. I'm against people advancing against people against their consent. I'm against all of that. You don't get to pick and choose who you go after. So if you're gonna go after President Trump for the comments he made, if you're gonna go after um, Roy Moore for the accusations of, of 40 years in the past. If you're going to go after all these people on the right, you have to do it against the people on the left. And if you're going to go after the people on the left, you have to go against the people on the right. You just have to remain consistent. If you're not going to be consistent, you're just a partisan hack. You're just a fool. And, and you don't deserve any of the audience that you do have. Um, it, oh. It, oh. Yes. So 
I can't I can't sit too long with this Joe Biden talk because it just it it, it makes me ugh, it kills me it kills me. Uh, so we're gonna move on from that, and and hopefully this this next bill that I'm gonna talk about, hopefully this bill um, doesn't help Joe Biden get the popular vote because there's a Democratic senator, Jeff Merkley from Oregon, right, the progressive state of Oregon, announced on Friday that he's introducing legislation to abolish the electoral college as part of a package of election reform bills. It's time to end the undemocratic. Electoral College, and to ensure a pathway to full voting representation for all American citizens, regardless of whether they live in Port- Portland or Mo- Puerto Rico. This bill would also allow for Puerto Rico to be uh, to be taxed and to be treated the same as a state. And so, you know, he's also arguing for fifty-one states in the in the nation. But the the whole entire idea around this is the fact that there are twelve states right now in the union. That have pushed to where they say, look, as soon as enough states get involved, as soon as enough states sign on with this this bill on this idea, then we will make it to where we are voting. There's a, there's enough electoral votes that it will be on a popular vote. Jeff Merkley is getting ahead of this because there is an actual there is actual Supreme Court decisions and opinions and and. Um, I may be wrong on this, but I believe it's even within the Constitution itself that states cannot make compacts with each other without without the federal government being involved. And so this would not be um, – if they get to that threshold, the Supreme Court would then turn this down and, and shut down that compact, shut down that contract, shut down that deal if you know. Um, but Jeff Merkley, what he's doing here is, look, let's just abolish the Electoral College. Let's change it up. Let's, let's throw it out in the way that it's running because this is the way that it, it could function. This is, you know, make an amendment to the Constitution, which is not what he wants to do. But he actually just wants to change up the way that these Electoral Colleges um, are working. And, and so he's trying to work around the Constitution but within the Constitution itself because – when you look at the Constitution and the way that it's written and the way that it talks about the Electoral College, it's not saying that based on your districts, based on your, your voters within your state, this is how your electoral uh, voters are, are set to vote. The way that they're written is actually is by the states. How many electoral votes each state gets is actually is written in the Constitution. And how those are, are, are created is is in the Constitution, but not how they vote. And so he's trying to work around this and, and to make it a we the people dem- democracy blueprint. And this has been one of the longstanding issues that has come about with this country was that originally, right, originally you had the House and the House was just represented by the people. The House was the people. The Senate was the states. The Senate was was voted upon by the state legislators. So the people of the state voted for their state legislators. The state legislators then voted for uh, the senators until the 17th Amendment came around. Once the 17th Amendment came around, then we moved that to democracy. Then we moved that to you, the people across your state get a vote on and they get to put in their senators. And now what we're looking to is actually introducing what Democrats have been calling this country for years, for for decades, for even centuries, we will finally be a democracy. That's right. One vote, one person, one vote. And that's disgusting. 
Why is democracy disgusting? Why is democracy cancer? Why is democracy going to be the downfall? Because democracy never survives. It never works. And in a democracy, if the mob rule, if the majority of people want something, the majority of people get that thing. So if you have a bicycle and you have five friends in a democracy, five of those friends vote to take your bicycle. Guess what? You don't have a bicycle anymore. Democracies are not good. They're inherently bad because doesn't matter how informed, doesn't matter how smart, doesn't matter how good intention, bad intention, doesn't matter any of those things. As long as you can get a majority of people on board with it, then you're going to get this. This is how socialism gets ramped up and pushed through um, on a rapid scale. This is this is how you destroy your nation. This is and, and it happens every single time. Absolutely right, Shane Sweeney. Uh, democracy is mob rule, pure and simple. And so it, it, this is how you destroy a country. Democracy has never worked and it never will. Never work, never will. Um, I had to use a clapping hands emoji. I'm sorry. Um, I know that uh, if, you guys, if you guys know Squiggly the Guy, Squiggly the Guy just made a wonderful post yesterday. He said, look, if you clap in between each word, I can't take you seriously. You got to take that one seriously, nonetheless. Exactly. 51% vote to kill the other, 49%. Um, Gary the King. Cool, bro. Uh, We now have representational democracy. Yes. And so it's that representation that that fights against this. And certainly, right, a constitution doesn't doesn't work in a democracy because then people just ignore and go around it as much as much as we've already seen within our republic within our current standing republic the constitution doesn't do anything and i'm sure shane sweeney's typing up that that wonderful quote from from uh lysander spooner right now back from the early 1800s when the 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 gist of this was whether the constitution was one thing or another this much is true the constitution is either authorized the the government that we have or was enable or was unable to prevent it from from forming in any in either case, it is unfit to to exist and should be abolished. Um, the the tenor of that, the intent of that, the, the 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 moral lesson of that is true because regardless of what the Constitution says, and actually no, darn, uh, regardless of what the Constitution says, we see where. Republicans and Democrats are working violently against the Constitution um, and infringing upon the rights of the people and and the way that we live and and the liberties that were protected, not provided, but the liberties protected by the Constitution in itself. Um, And and so there is some some truth to that. How do we protect ourselves as as a whole? Well, it requires you to have the authority over yourself and not to allow another to have that. This is where a lot of anarchists get... Um, get a lot of honest points, right? If no one has authority over you and you only have authority over yourself, um, then you also get the repercussions for the decisions that you make. And certainly in an anarchist society, we would see a lot more, uh, a lot more hard or harsh treatment for, for some actions and, and other actions like victimless crimes would not be something you punish somebody for. Um, so you get to rule your own life. You get to be your own ruler because in an anarchist society, it means without rulers. So you rule yourself and no one else rules you. But I don't, I don't want to go down to the anarchy uh, rabbit hole right now. Uh, just wanted to bring that up. 
And now you know it's now you know it. It's working. Yes, no, I, I've read that thing so many times. Not not just from when you post on every any time that I mentioned the Constitution ever in the history of, of any Facebook comment, but um it is what it is. So uh from Axios, I want to talk a little bit about the Trump wall. Uh Shane Sweeney actually posted in favor of the border wall, B O A-R-D-E-R, in favor of the border wall down there on the southern border. Shane Sweeney's finally gotten on board for just today and only today because happy April Fool's Day to you all. But uh, the Pentagon has notified Congress Monday that it has authorized up to $1 billion in funding to go towards building President Trump's wall. So the acting defense secretary, Patrick Shanahan, authorized the Army Corps of Engineers to plan and build 57 miles, 57 miles, 57 miles, $1 billion, $1 billion, 57 miles. So we're looking at over 40s or 400 miles across the the stretch, well over 400 miles. Um, It's going to be an expensive wall. This is just the building portion of it. This isn't the manning portion. This isn't the upkeep on it. This isn't really doing all the everything that everyone ever desired. But this is going to be going across in Yuma, Arizona, as well as El Paso, Texas. <sighs> this is not one of those things that's going to be a part of the. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not going to be challenged along with the national emergency declaration that's being challenged or anything else that's going on with uh, with Trump and his in his um, Trump and his wall and the way that he's working with it. This is actually something that is a workaround. So the Pentagon is saying, look, we have the authority. Uh, this money was allocated to us. We can allocate it where we want to. And so they're allocating it there. Um, they're working towards the wall. If you guys don't like it, there's really nothing that we can do about it. If you do like it, you should go praise the Pentagon and, and uh, Mr. Patrick Shanahan. But, um, Ugh. While we're talking about people doing weird stuff, people doing weird stuff. What's going on in Venezuela? Well, the Russians are landing planes full of troops, full of troops. They're sending troops down to Venezuela. Why is this? Why would Russians send troops down to Venezuela? Well, they've been backing Maduro. So this is another one of those. It's now going to be one of those proxy wars. This is going to get interesting because the left hasn't been in favor. Democrats haven't been in favor of of going in and and toppling Maduro because Maduro has been a communist, socialist. He's been in favor of of the socialist desires and he's been advancing it and been destroying the country. But they, they, they don't want to give him the credit for the destruction that's happening there. So they're in support of him. But now the Russians are coming in and they're they're helping by sending in military advisors in order to help figure out how to handle the destruction that's going on in there and um, handle that whole entire debacle that's been going on in Venezuela where people have been revolting, but because they don't have weapons, um, it's been a very one-sided battle. Um, So the Russians are coming in. And what's interesting is now, is the left going to be on the side of the Trump administration that Trump has been... uh, dropping hints that he wants to get involved over there in order to get rid of Maduro along with a bunch of other countries. China's in favor of, of getting rid of Maduro. Russia's not. Russia's coming in to support him. Where Where's the left going to be on this? 
do you support Maduro and thereby support the Russians and they love to, to connect people? Well, if you're supported by this person, then you're a disgusting person, right? We can see when, when, when the KKK or white supremacists or, or disgusting fringe groups on left or the right support one group or another group, they go, oh, well, you know, if you support this person, you're supporting that group. Are they going to still back Maduro? and be able to, to figure out how to, to denounce Russia at the same time? Or are they going to back Trump by going against Russia? Ooh, they're stuck in the conundrum, right? Imagine that picture of the meme with the two pictures. Do I support Russia or do I support Trump? They can't help it. They can't help it. They're so, they're so ideologically stuck on identity politics. That they can't support either. And so this will be a non-issue for them. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. They're going to pull out the libertarian card once again. Because when the left can't handle anything, they just they grab the cards from the libertarians. Hey, it's not our country. It's not our problem. It's not our issue. Why are we getting involved? It's not on our, it's not on our front doorstep. It's not on our back doorstep. They're not breaking into our houses. They're not doing anything to us. Why are we getting involved? Send support. Send money down there. If you want to go down there and support them yourself, you could do that if you want to. Don't take my money and send my my friends down there um, against their will to go handle these conflicts. It's not our problem. Leave. Let us let us leave out of here. This um, it's it's uh, expect the Democrats, expect the left to grab that libertarian card and to use it. Republicans are still going to be on the side of. It doesn't matter who's supporting who. Um, we don't want to see a socialist in there. We want to see Maduro get taken out. We want to see uh, somebody else come in, potentially start disrupting the socialist changes there. There show that if you if you free up the market a lot more, if you allow more competition, if you allow people to make their own decisions, then they can be in a better position for themselves, and you'll see a brighter future. Hopefully, they'll see like what's what's happening in South Korea. I understand the right's drive to want to do that. But we can't go in there and expect that we're going to topple the regime and nation build and and make this so much better for them. It doesn't happen anywhere that we've been to. We've been to Chile, didn't work. We've been to Brazil, doesn't work. We've been to we're going to go to Venezuela, probably it's not going to work. We went name the country in the world, and we've probably been there one time or another to try to help make their country a better place. And what turns up is they go back to the same way that they were if we ever leave. And certainly, we're still there in Afghanistan. We're still there in Iraq. We're still there in in Syria. We're still there in, in everywhere. And we're not, we're not making it better. We're just causing more terror. Just causing more terror. While we're talking about terror, good, good, good segue point. While we're talking about the terror that's being caused, Emmanuel Macron over there in France, oh, who is with his mother, who's living and loving up with his mother. At least somebody old enough to be his mother. Oh no. Oh, no, this one says register. Oh, I pulled up the wrong one. Telegraph, you suck. All right, so nonetheless, Emmanuel Macron wades into a row over whether French soldiers soldiers can open fire on yellow vests. They've been, they've been so destructive over there, those yellow vesters. They haven't been liking what uh, Macron has been implementing. He doesn't, they don't like the taxes that they're facing. They don't like all of the structures and, and the just as a whole, a lot of the system there. Um, and they've been fighting. They've been protesting. They've been rioting for, for 
uh, oh, what is it? Probably like a good two months now. They've been a strong force to be reckoned with because the people are uprising and fighting against it. Something that Americans just wouldn't do. It would not be something we would do, especially not in 2019. We would never get off from our armchairs, never stop tweeting at people, make a change. We'll never get off of our Facebook comments. We're going to stay there. But the French are standing up. And, and certainly, right, they had this opportunity of taking up the liberty movement and going, government sucks. You guys aren't doing what we want you to do. You're doing what you want to do. And you're destroying our lives. You're making our lives worse. You're never going to change. You're always going to be doing this. So just get out of my life. Get out of my wallet. Get out of my, my, my income check. Get out of all of that. Let me live my own life. But instead they're saying, we don't like your socialism. We don't like your control. We want this control. We want this socialism. We want this. And, and so... Nonetheless, right now, Emmanuel Macron is wondering, do I just let them open fire on these yellow vests? Do I just shut it down with sheer dominance and with force, with fascist tactics? And the sad thing is, is that it's already been happening. I remember about a month ago, we covered this. There was a firefighter, a firefighter who was wearing a yellow vest, was shot by one of the, one of the police officers and killed laying in the street, spasming out because he was shot in the head because Emmanuel Macron didn't care. And, and it, it really is a telltale when your leader, when your democratically elected leader decides that, eh, I don't care about your opinion, take a bullet to the head. This happens. This happens, folks. This is why you don't let governments have more power. This is why you don't let them have too much power. This is why you don't have them let them have a normal amount of power. This is why they need to have as little power as possible. Because the more power that they have, the less power that you have. When they talk about gun control, and certainly Lindsey Graham came down to my state with Vice President Mike Pence this weekend, this last weekend. They came down, and one of the things that Lindsey Graham is getting involved with is the red flag laws getting involved and pushing and helping and trying to get states on board and borderline bribing states to get on board with red flag laws in order to push this across the country in order to make the country more safe and and the way that the slope slips is that eh, government doesn't like you you don't have a gun anymore eh, there's enough people out there that don't have guns anymore or eh, we'll come in there and we'll kill you We'll kill you. We'll kill your family. We'll take we'll take your guns away from you one way or another. Whether you're alive or dead, your guns are going going away. Um, so putting not only the citizens at risk, but also putting the officers at risk. Never themselves, of course, because the the people pushing this will never be involved. But this is how this begins. And they're in France and they're in Venezuela. Both of those states, they don't have the capacity to have firearms. They don't have it. It's not allowed. No. Only the state gets it. And now you have France going, ah, we might open fire. This is, this is a possibility. We've been using it. We've been practicing it uh, kind of sparingly. We've been doing it as little as possible, but we, we might push this up. We might turn up the dial a little bit, start uh, mowing some of these yellow vests down if we need to. This should be, this should be an eye-opening event for anyone and everyone. It's not good. It is never good to give them this.
they just passed red flag laws in my state, and it's disgusting. Mm. Yeah, there's there was a, a a sheriff. Oh man, ooh ooh ooh. Let me let me pull that one up real quick. There was a sheriff recently that was that came out and he said, "Look, my state may have passed it. I'll go to jail before I actually come out and start pushing for these. I'm not going to be coming out there and confiscating people's guns rights, especially not without due process, especially um, in the in the way that these laws are written. It's it's disgusting. It's repugnant. And and I would rather go to jail than do something unconstitutional. And somebody like that is so important. And these are the good officers. This was in Colorado. These are the officers that need to be lifted up and to be broadcasted out because this on this stance, I don't know what his stance is about everything else, but on this stance alone, this is what an officer is supposed to do to protect and serve. Who is he protecting? He's supposed to be protecting the people. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that he has to go out there and, and take away your rights and say, I'm protecting you by taking away your rights. And when you, you don't want to do this, then I, I'll take your life. I'm protecting people by taking your life. Weld County Sheriff Sheriff Reams disagrees so much with the gun bill making its way through Colorado legislature that he's willing to go to jail rather than enforce it. It's a matter of doing what's right, he said. He's not the only one who feels so strongly. The controversial red flag bill aims to seize guns temporarily for people who are deemed to be a threat to themselves or to others. Colorado State Senate passed the bill Thursday by a single vote without any Republican support, and the bill is expected to pass the House possibly this week. Democrat majorities in both chambers, state Republicans have had too few votes to stand in the way. But more than half, see, this is this is kind of the democracy. Uh, but more than half of Colorado's 64 counties officially opposed the bill. Woo! Many have even declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuary counties in protest. Sanctuary counties. This is this is one of those beautiful things. Um, the left started with sanctuary cities. We saw this with illegal immigration where they said, look, I don't care. Nobody is an illegal. Therefore, you can be here in these in this area, whether it's a city, whether it's a state, whether it's a county, whatever it was. They said these were sanctuary entities. Uh, be here. Uh, try to be nice to each other. But we're not going to work um, to help deport you if, if you do wrong. Now the right conservatives or Republicans are finally getting on board with this idea because they're like, we can't do anything about it. So now they're coming out and they're pushing these. And this is beautiful. Sanctuary gun counties. If you want to have these, your guns, you can have your guns. Missouri, we we talked about Missouri uh, last week, I believe it was. Missouri coming out and being, we're a gun sanctuary state. All gun laws are null and void from the federal government. Sorry, see you later. Get out of here, ATF. We don't need you. Um, We'll be able to handle our own. And so things like this are beautiful. It's great to see this because an armed populace is a populace that doesn't become enslaved. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Right. Temporarily. Yeah. So temporarily, let's go through this temporarily. So the way that the temporarily works is the fact that um, somebody says, so for example, Gary Willis from Mass or from Maryland, I apologize from Maryland. Um, Gary Willis living, uh, living his life, doing what he does and uh, not really being a threat to others, but he had a conflict with his aunt, his aunt or his sister. I forgot which. I apologize. But nonetheless, the aunt or the sister decided that, "Ah, I'm going to go report him. 
And so she reported him to the authorities. The authorities went to a judge. The judge provided an ERPO um, and utilized the red flag laws, went to Gary's house. And when Gary refused to provide his firearms to the officers um, because his due process was never granted to him, the due process that is constitutional, the due process that ensures that the the correct person is being held accountable for the actions taken, not for the actions thought may occur. Um, Gary Willis was then shot and killed. So this temporary thing, the temporary attempt to take somebody's gun can be a permanent change to their life, i.e. ending it. Um, in other instances, there may be instances where somebody comes to, to confiscate somebody's gun and that person shoots the officer. So now that has a permanent change as well. When it comes to the temporary, if, if everything goes smoothly in the way that you want it to and, and the officers show up and the guy's like, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to worry about. Um, you know, I, I keep my windows open so the government can spy on me whenever they want to. Um, he hands over his guns and this temporary becomes permanent because he has to fight through the legislation in order to get it, get it uh, reinstated because he's just continually getting more and more of these uh, red flag laws being used against them. Gary, you're all right. If you if you want to stay here and, and chat it up, man, you're 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 good to go, bro. Um, so so with looking at those situations, these red flag laws are are just destructive. They're destructive to the Constitution because they they go against the the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, um, and certainly the Second Amendment. Uh, but it also ends badly for for either party involved. So there's there's many reasons why these are not good ideas. And so it's good to see um, good to see people going out and, and going against that. Cover that one. Cover that one. Um, this was this was one of my favorites. So um, we covered the Texas lawsuit, Texas versus U.S. And in Texas versus U.S., the way that this lawsuit was going was basically. Um, We'll just go straight to the opinion. The opinion was based on the idea that after President Trump, using the Tax and Jobs Cut Act, um, had removed one of the uh, one of the portions of the Affordable Care Act, and that was the individual mandate. Now, this was something that I applauded, and many people applauded because the government should not be compelling somebody to buy anything. Right? We should be encouraging people. Yay! You have a life. You should be. You should probably get health insurance because you might get nicked up sometime. You might get hurt. You might get sick. It's just good for you to go out and get health insurance. But they should never be compelling somebody to get that. So the individual mandate was removed. When the individual mandate was removed, there became a lawsuit. And in this lawsuit, the judge had ruled that because – and even – well, so because that mandate was removed – that mandate was was one of the important was so important uh, made such a drastic change to the Affordable Care Act that it now made it to where um, well it was considered inseverable, which means that it's so vital to the bill that if you remove that, you're removing the entire bill because the bill would not be able to stand on its own without the individual mandate. And so he ruled that it was unconstitutional to have it without the Affordable Care Act, and and that was a big move. That was a big change, and. And he also, in the same opinion, went down. I believe this was uh, this was page thirty four and thirty five of his opinion, if I remember correctly. He also said that even with the affordable with the Affordable Care Act maintaining 
the individual mandate, it was still unconstitutional because it was compelling um, government or it was government compelling people to buy a service or a product. And that's just unconstitutional. There's no authority within the Constitution. Therefore, it's unconstitutional and it should be struck down. This this lawsuit is making its way finally up to um, the fifth district. Yep, the fifth district. And and so with this, now that they're considering the case, the United States is not urging that any of the ports portion of the district court's judgment be reversed. So they're standing with the Texas judge on this. That is unconstitutional. Now we should expect this to move up and go to, um, go to the Supreme court itself. But the reason why I'm bringing this up to you guys is that the Trump administration is actually flipping sides on this. So the Trump administration before said, look, you know, I want to keep part portions of the Affordable Care Act. There's portions of the Affordable Care Act that I believe was good and that we should keep, we should maintain. And now that this has made kind of a big hubbub and it looks like the entire Affordable Care Act is being torn down, Trump and his administration are getting on the side of, yeah, it's horrible. Let's tear it away and let's get rid of it. So much like what we saw when the Tea Party came into effect, uh, much like what we saw when Republicans were not in the majority, was that they were saying, let's repeal Affordable Care Act. Let's repeal, let's repeal, repeal. Now, well, before now, it was Trump administration was saying, let's not just repeal, let's repeal and replace. So, Instead of saying, look, this is cancerous, this is disgusting, this is not good, this has not been good legislation, um, let's look at not the intent, but let's look at the actual outcome. Affordable care has been destructive to the premiums, it's been destructive to the cost, it's been destructive to healthcare across this country, it's destroyed competition, it's done exactly what it was supposed to do in order to push us towards single payer. Um, instead of accepting that as the, the end-all, be-all, they go, we could do better. So the affordable or the Trump administration is now saying, yeah, let's get rid of the entire Affordable Care Act and we're going to rewrite it. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it good. We're going to make it bigly. It's going to be huge. It's going to be fantastic. And this is one of those things. Um, this is going to be one of those things that now the Republicans are going to own the health care uh, debacle, the destruction that there is going to be inherently. And when you push this, when you have this and the Republicans have their name on it, they get to take all the blame because no longer is it going to be Obama's health care. It's going to be Trump's health care. Trump is going to get the big, uh, big nod on the top of his head because it's going to fail because legislators are not effective. They're not efficient and they're not the best at being able to set up businesses. They can't even handle voting. They can barely handle voting. And yet we somehow, some way the American populace believes that we the people can vote in good enough people that are going to run healthcare, that are going to run businesses, that are going to run schools, that's going to run every aspect of our lives. And they can barely do it on their own lives, but they're going to be able to do it for everyone else's lives across the entire country. This is not, this is not logical. This is not, you didn't think this through all the way, right? Go grab a hundred random people and say, you're going to run my life for the next year. Four years, for the next two years, for the next six years, for the next eight years, your life is not going to be better. Having the authority over your own health care, that will be better. Having more competition within healthcare, that's going to be better. Having more schools to be able to choose from, that's going to be better. That doesn't require government providing those to you because when the government does something for you, they're going to suck at it so that, that way they can say, hey, come back here. 
come back here. Uh, we need you to vote for me so that I can fix this problem. And they, they continue to grow. They continue to grow. They continue to take more of your taxes. They continue to raise your gas taxes, your house taxes, your property taxes, everything else. They continue to take more from you. And they keep saying, look, uh, we just need a little bit more. And we'll be able to fix this for you. They're never going to fix it for you. It's always going to be a problem. This is why the government sucks. This is why the government fails you anytime it tries to do anything. It's just inherent. And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a terrible move by the Trump administration to say, look, we're going to replace this. Don't replace it. Get it out of the way. Um, get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Get rid of the individual mandate. Or maintain keeping the individual mandate away. Get the pre-existing conditions out. Get all of it out and just allow the market to be able to decide for itself. Because there's going to be markets out there that say, look, we're going to accept pre-existing conditions. It's going to cost a little bit more, but people can get it. Boom. That's handled. There's going to be businesses that say, look, we're not going to allow you to have pre-existing conditions. And, and those people are going to pay lower rates. And so this way... The responsibility is upon you. If you want to wait until the last minute, uh, until after your fire is broken out to be able to, to, to get fire insurance, it's going to cost you a bit more. If you're going to get something before the fire happens, it's going to be a lot less, right? And, and so the same thing goes for fire insurance, flooding insurance, all of those other insurances. Same thing should be going to your health insurance. And certainly, while we're talking about this, everyone's going to die get life insurance. And just put that out there. Get life insurance because your family's going to thank you when you when you croak. Tired of seeing families posting all these dang GoFundMe's because Bob didn't didn't get life insurance. Bob, you were dying. You knew you were dying. Go get life insurance. I don't care how much ex- how expensive it is. Your 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 family's going to love you afterwards when they can afford to pay for your funeral and also go to Disneyland. They're going to love it. Um, I want to move on from that and go to oh. We're going to go to Alexander Ocasio-Cortez because Alexander Ocasio-Cortez is fantastic in the way that whenever she speaks, she says something stupid. So this tweet is from uh, Tom Elliott. I'm going to pull this up for you guys. Uh, over here, Tom Elliott, <clears throat> you guys can see I still have a bunch of pages up. We still got a lot more to talk about. Sorry for, for the long show tonight, missing Friday um, and being on Monday. Kind of fitting two shows in, going rapid fire through these. Uh, we will open up the phone lines in a little bit for you guys. If you guys want to call in, you guys got topics you guys want to revisit and, and rediscuss, of course. But according to Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Congress amended the Constitution to prevent FDR from being reelected. So give this a listen. Oh. Time of the New New Deal, the Great Society, the Civil Rights Act, and so on. We had and carried super majorities in the House, in the Senate. We carried the presidency. They had to amend the Constitution of the United States to make sure Roosevelt did not get reelected. So if you missed this, uh, reminder, FDR died in office in 1945, the 22nd Amendment, which is an amendment I actually really just don't agree with. I, I don't believe in term limits. Um, as a fundamental principle. Uh, but the 22nd Amendment came in in 1947. That's right. Two years after FDR died, they implemented the 22nd Amendment to make sure that FDR didn't come back from the dead and run for office once again. This is how smart Alexander Ocasio-Cortez is. And, so I'll finish uh, it off. You know, there were so many extraordinary things that were happening in that time that were uniting working people. Extraordinary things like presidents, that were that died in office are going to come back from the dead and be able to uh, run for office again. So this is the- we're going to go from that one flub. Certainly, it's a huge flub. Oh, 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 oh. I want to check the comments. FDR was dead. Exactly. All right. 
Um, we're going to go from that flub and we're going to go to another flub. This is, this is just, I want you to listen to her words. And, and certainly Robbie Swove is the one who sent this to or, uh, not sent it to me, but, but shared it out. Um, this is from Julia Rojas. Roses. No, not Rojas. Uh, so she puts it out there. She puts it out there. You guys are making his point when you do that. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not the ones that made it. She's talking about this. So here's what I think. Uh, what I think is that we are committed to policies that make, make American lives better. Fact check false. And um, we're actually talking about something substantive. Mm, we'll get to Mike Lee in a bit. Not calling anyone names. Not calling anyone names. Now, this is the big thing, right? We've seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling names her entire time on the campaign trail. We've seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez standing there, grandstanding in Congress, and she's been calling names to everyone. She's been calling people xenophobic, uh, white supremacist. She's been calling people uh, racist, uh, sexist, whatever it is, she's been calling names. But, but here she is. People say Tea Party of the Left. And I find this phrase very interesting, this phrasing very interesting, because the grounding of the Tea Party was xenophobia. So she doesn't call people names, but they're xenophobic. The underpinnings of white supremacy. And they're white supremacists. Don't worry, guys. No name calling here. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would never call somebody a xenophobe. They would never call somebody a white supremacist because she doesn't call names. And she later does, as this quote says here, and and that the Koch brothers founded them, and she was raised up by the grassroots supporters, and and everyone was there to support um, Alexander Ocasio Cortez. That was it, right? She's 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 not there to name call. She's there just because she's there substantively. She's there to push policy that's good for the people. Um, and that brings me to, if you guys missed this, this was from last week and I wanted to bring it up to you guys Friday night, but, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a little bit of time. Um, it's, it takes a little bit to get through this. Uh, but this is Mike Lee talking about the green new deal. And this was absolute comedic gold and, and pay attention to the first lines because he, he flawlessly handles this entire discussion. After reading the Green New Deal, I'm mostly afraid of not being able to get through this speech with a straight face. For Mr. President, I rise today to consider the Green New Deal with the seriousness it deserves. Can't laugh. Don't This is, of course, a picture of former President Ronald Reagan. Uh, Look at Reagan. Firing a, a machine gun while riding on the back of a dinosaur. Now, critics might quibble with this depiction of the climactic battle of the Cold War. Because while awesome, in real life, there was no climactic battle. There was no battle with or without velociraptors. The Cold War, as we all know, was won without firing a shot. But that quibble actually serves our purposes here today, Mr. President. Because this image has as much to do with overcoming communism in the 20th century as the Green New Deal has to do with overcoming climate change in the 21st. 
Notice, notice the staffer, not just not just Mike Lee, but the staffer as well. Both stone cold faces, just stoic and able to handle this entire conversation without a, a an inkling of this being a sarcastic remark. And what he is saying here is absolutely true. This picture has nothing to do with overcoming communism, and the Green New Deal has nothing to do with overcoming climate change. It would actually would make the world a worse place by implementing the Green New Deal in the way that it did. This was coming from when uh, when it was voted on 57 to 0 to shut it down. The aspirations of the proposal have been called radical. They've been called extreme. But mostly, they're ridiculous. Mm. There isn't a single serious idea here. Not True statement. To illustrate, let me highlight two of the most prominent goals produced by the plan's authors. Goal number one, the Green New Deal calls essentially for the elimination of airplanes. In a future without air travel, how are we supposed to get around the vast expanses of, say, Alaska you during the winter? Star Wars fan are going to love this. Uh-oh. Unless it, unless it freezes on me. But pulls up tauntauns. Tauntauns from Star Wars. That's right. When uh, Luke Skywalker is trying to get through the the uh, frozen tundra, he is riding around on a tauntaun. He gets stuck, cuts open the tauntaun, lives in that for the night, stays warm, and is able to survive the, the frigid cold that was otherwise frozen or killed him frozen. Um, he also talks about how we're going to get around to Hawaii and everything else. And that's, of course, with Aquaman riding on a seahorse because the ridiculousness of actually pushing this bill out there um, and and thinking that this is in any way a logical thing or going to help the climate or make the world a better place is just absolutely nonsensical. It's just ridiculous. And so absolutely right. Just absolutely right for Mike Lee to come out and just be as as hyperbolic and, and exaggerated and ridiculous in order to just show just of how stupid the Green New Deal really is. Now, we went through the Green New Deal in its entirety. I read it all to you guys before and and understanding just of how how insipid it is to think that we can build 300,000 buildings in a day and and how we're going to shut down all different forms of, of transportation, shut down the airplanes, move by air or uh, by by train everywhere around the, around the country um, and how we're going to function all of these different things that they were trying to implement is it's just nonsensical and it's not realistic in any any way possible. Um, it would take an, an egregious amount of fossil fuels in order to make that even possible. And of course, that's not something that they want to do. Um, so Mike Lee came out with the the pure comedic gold and, and I wish it would have been loaded up all the way through, but I failed you guys. Oh, I failed you guys, and I apologize for that. Um, got that one. Um, I want to. I want to go over. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been a big point of contention. Um, she's been a, a big talking point. Um, the left is scared for her. You you see lefties having parties and saying, "Look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you just got to last two more years. You just got to last one more year. You just got to last until we can get President Trump out of office." Well. President Trump doesn't think that she's going to make it before he leaves office. And President Trump has been or has reportedly said that he is saving Judge Amy Barrett of the U, uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. 
this is uh, this is something that I've been I was speculating on early on when uh, just before Kavanaugh was announced before he was uh, selected to be the nominee. Um, Ruth Bader or uh, Amy Barrett was was one of the the leading front runners for who the nomination was going to be before Kavanaugh was added to the list. And from what I've seen of, of Amy Barrett, she's not, not a horrible pick. She's not a bad pick by, uh, by many standards. And I said that it would be fantastic to see if he uses her and waits for her to, to potentially replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because this is what, this is how you play identity politics with the left. You replace a woman with a woman. And then now they have to actually go after the stances instead of saying, look, President Trump just replaced a woman with a man because he just, he's just a misogynist. He hates women, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the, the t- typical trope that comes from them. And so this was a great move. Um, now, this is not me wishing ill upon Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is not me hoping that she dies and, and croaks or anything else. But if she... If she does retire before he leaves office or if she does happen to pass, Amy Barrett would be a good selection for that on from the Trump administration side to be able to play those identity politics against that. Um, Mike Lee was fantastic in that speech. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to open up the phone lines, guys. If you guys want to call in, you guys are free to call in. The phone number is 802-671-5328. Feel free to call in. Um, I appreciate you guys all. I, I know we went through a lot of these topics really quickly. So if you guys have a topic that you guys want to want to readdress or, or get onto, um, feel free to feel free to call in. Um, phone number again is 802-671-5328. Um, a lot of topics tonight. So I'm sure there's a, a wealth of, of things that you guys want to recover. Um, oh, I, I actually missed this one. Um, while we're, while we're waiting for your calls, I want to cover this last one. So one of the GOP lawmakers draws backlash for telling democratic colleague to shut up during a heated Obamacare debate. Uh, representative Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma drew a backlash from some of his fellow committee members this week. This is coming from the Hills coming from this week after telling democratic colleagues to shut up during a heated discussion of the affordable care act. All right, we got a phone call. One second. Nope. Missed it. Uh, if you want, call again. Um, during a heated discussion of the Affordable Care Act, the heated exchange began after Mullen remarked that at a meeting that employees at his plumbing company told him that their coverage under the Obama-era health care law sucks. Sucks was the important word here, and we'll get into that in a second. Mullen called out uh, New Mexico Representative Ben Ray Luan during a, during a discussion. Hey, Forgotten Man, how's it going? Hey, Jason, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. Let me just finish up reading this article real quick for everyone, and then uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get your input, all right? All right, sounds good. All right, one second. All right, so, um, so the heated discussion began after Mullen remarked at a meeting, uh, uh, remarked at, at a meeting that employees at his plumbing company told him that their coverage sucks. And he called out New Mexico Representative Ben Ray Lewin, during a discussion on the health care law, asking what Luann has proposed to resolve the bipartisan efforts to change the Affordable Care Act. Luann interrupted to ask whether Mullen would yield his time to allow him to answer the question. Mullen declined, said Luann can shut up now. 
Now, this was if it was him telling him to shut up was the the point of of issue, right? We can granted that's that's probably not how you 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 handle that, right? That's not good decorum. That's not good good ways of handling this. But the the issue that came about from uh, New Hampshire Representative Ann Custer, she called the five letter word beginning with and ending with the word S to be struck from the record because she found it offensive. Could you imagine being an elected official in Congress and thinking the word sucks when it comes to regards to Affordable Care Act is offensive? If it's bad legislation, it sucks. I I think that really we need to have a movement right now where if you find legislation that is not good, you just say it sucks because I want this woman to be so offended that she gets out of office. Because if you're going to be that offended by freedom of speech, by somebody saying sucks, oh, there's so many worse words than that. There's so much. What do you want him to say? If it's not good, you want him to say, oh, it's not good. No, it sucks. It sucks. Get offended all you want, you little snowflake. I don't care. The dude was right, all right? Mullen was right to say that it sucks, and he was quoting somebody else. And and what we saw with Elizabeth Warren in the Senate, uh, I think it was like four years ago, was that when she was quoting somebody, in the Senate rules, you can't talk about a member of of – of the Senate or a previous member of the Senate, you can't talk bad about them. That's that law. And that's why she was struck down. But when it comes to this one, he was talking about actual legislation that does suck, that has made the country worse, that has made healthcare across this country worse, that has made it to where people like me can't afford to have health insurance. Um, so I have health insurance for my wife and for my children, but I don't have it for myself because I can't afford to, to take out a second mortgage, a third mortgage and a fourth mortgage every other month to be able to afford the healthcare. Um, so the, the insurance absolutely is 100% sucks, and, and it's just completely just, oh, how can you get offended by that word? But uh, so anyways, welcome in Forgotten Man. Uh, thank you for holding on that. And um, so what's, what's on your mind, my man? Hey, Jason, I don't mean to be offensive, but um, there seems to be a lot of ways that I know of in which sucking is actually a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. Yes. But but anyway, I would like to go back a little bit and talk about the, um, and talk about the red flag laws. Yes, sir. Uh, We we just passed, uh, I think it's called the SR-71 law in my state, and uh, there was a bunch of legislation in there. Uh, One was reducing the magazines down to, to 10, Yes. Rounds per magazine. And then we also had the bump stock deal, which I guess now that's a federally, that's federally uh, illegal now anyway. Yep. But within that law, and, and they, this is what they try to do. They try to hide all of these other provisions inside, you know, one law where, you know, you know we, we, protest, we protested the, um, the magazines going from 30 to 10. Mm-hmm. And then, um, not even knowing until the law was actually passed and written, and now reading the law, uh, you know, th- this red flag rule came into effect. Yeah. So basically, it is if in, you know, let's say I'm a business owner, okay? If a customer comes into my store and I offend him, and they know that I have firearms, they can just run right over across the street to the police station and say, "Hey, that guy's got firearms. I think he's dangerous." Yeah. The police believe him. They can go to the court. They can have your guns confiscated, 
and then you may never receive, you may never get your guns back. Yeah, absolutely. A blatant, a blatant, um, um, uh, that's, that's a blatant law against the Second Amendment of the United States. True statement. And I got some good news for you, though. Um, I don't know if you saw what happened in California, but the California, uh, in the court system, they actually just had a challenge against the, um, Yes, yes. And that's unconstitutional. I heard about that. I did hear about that. Yes. And I I shared it on my... California, if that happened in California, then perhaps a lot of these are all unconstitutional. That'd be great if they could reverse that. Yeah, so that's the expectation. So with California, what what California did, for for those of you guys who aren't pervy to it or haven't seen this, is that California passed passed their 10 magazine... Uh, limit in their state and it was challenged and this challenge was actually was being overturned as being anti-second uh, anti amendment and so when when that happened now what we're expecting to see is that this is going to be moving up to the federal level this is also going to be going hitting states like uh like new hampshire like uh uh massachusetts this is going to be hitting new jersey this is going to be hitting the states that have already passed this and so we're going to be seeing this be challenged on uh, across the board, and, and a, a major precedent will be set that you can't actually limit somebody's uh, capacity to be able to defend themselves, their life, their liberty, their pursuit of happiness, and defend themselves against the tyrannical government. And this is a huge win for the Second Amendment. I'm I'm thoroughly excited for that. Right, and I think I think uh, some of the credit has to be given to the Trump administration for some of this stuff because they have, the Trump administration has appointed a lot of judges mm-hmm. in these areas where normally it's a very, very leftist um, uh, court system. And some of these judges are uh, that, that he's been appointing are uh, turning the tides a little bit, which is great news. I mean, I, I mean, I mean I'm not a big uh, tram, uh, you know, trumpet or whatever, but uh, some of the things that he has done, especially when it comes to appointing judges, I think he's done a very good job. Yeah. No, yeah. No, there's there's, there's certainly a lot of good things that President Trump has done in the past um, and, and potentially even in the future. I don't I don't want to say he's one way or the other, um, but it's it's great to see good things like that come about where we're actually seeing a a a fight against the growth of government, a fight against them being able to infringe upon us. Um, I'm sorry to you guys on, on uh, Periscope. I see that my, my video is still up, but I'm not getting you guys' comments anymore. Um, but um, it's good to see stuff like that. I just, I, whenever we talk about Trump, I always got to make sure that I say, I'm not just like you. I'm not the biggest Trump supporter. I'm a supporter of Trump when he does right. And I'm, I, I slap him on the wrist when he does wrong. And, and certainly uh, the movement that he's had for the Second Amendment, for the most part. Now, the bump stock ban was—he's—he's he's passed himself personally has passed more legislation against the Second Amendment than Obama did. Obama had two pieces of legislation that involved the Second Amendment, and both of those were opening up the rights for the people to. Uh, one of them was to be able to, to check weapons or firearms onto Amtrak, so you can check it into your check luggage. Um, and I forgot what the other one was, but he had two bills that opened up gun rights and president trump himself have signed one bill um that is the bump stock ban and that is actually restricting rights and so um it's good i i I applaud him when he does well but you know we gotta we gotta slap him on the wrist when he does wrong there's just so much resistance that 
there's a lot of resistance, um, you know, in, in, in the local areas, uh, like for my state, mm-hmm. um, it's just so leftist, the state is so leftist that um, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's utterly impossible, especially for the rural areas of the state, to get any legislation passed, um, you, you know, that, that benefits that um, area of the state because, you know, our, our state also passed a law where we used to have something like a, um, you, you know how the senators, there's, there's two for every state. Well, the, it used to be that way in my state, but mm-hmm. then uh, there was legislation passed where it went by population. And then what happened was the city senators ended up getting way overrepresented by the senators and the, you know, the house, uh, the, the house seats that now just uh, the leftist. Um, oh, yeah. Left. The leftist, the leftist movement has just taken over, and it's going to be very hard to get those those people out of those trenches. I mean, yeah. we, I just don't know how to get them out of there. It's it's. <laughs> we can't vote them out because the you know they're yeah. You know, all, do you know what I'm saying? It brings up a really good point that I've been talking with some people about, and um, I, I I'm gonna. I'm going to let you go. Um, I'm, I'm going to continue on my thought afterwards, but I want to thank you for calling in and uh, uh, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great night, man. Thanks a lot, Jason. Good to see some energy out of you. You feel, you seem a lot better than you were oh, last week. Yes. So much better. Thank you, man. All right. All right keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you. Um, and, and he brings up, forgotten man brings up a really good point. And, and, um, with that, and, and when we see like these urban cities, when we see these big cities growing with, with lefty views, um, it's been something that has been, I believe, within the programming, within the ideology of what the left is, that they want to push out more people into these bigger areas. And then they also, when they, then when they come into there, they push for more Democratic uh, votes, uh, however it is. Um, did you have issues paying attention to school? I don't want to see it. No. Um, oh, I was looking around. Um, when um, when they push these these urban cities, they push people into the urban cities, they push them into the big cities. What they're doing is, is when they raise it on the state level, they're actually making it harder for people to live in the rural areas and they force people to come into the cities. And then as a, as a result, they keep making it better for the city folks, making it harder for the rural folks, more people come in. And because of that, it's as with any legislation, with how these, these, um, how government has worked whenever they give you entitlements, benefits, subsidies, whatever it is, they never want to get rid of those. This is why government always grows and never shrinks. And, and so the, the drive is, is to push people out of the rural areas, push them into the big cities, push a bigger government, push for dem- democracy, push for mob rule. And then now we're just going to destroy everyone out there. Because when you look at the rural cities, when you look at the rural areas, these are the people that are the more conservative people. These are the people that are, don't tread on me. They're the people that I, let me live and you can live your way, right? It's a walk through New York city and, and see how many people are, are liberty minded. Um, sorry, I was pointing out of the spider. Um, there, um, find out how many people there believe in, Hey, let's not have a big government. More people in the big cities believe in big government, more people outside in the rural areas, even around where I live. Um, and even the, the next County over, they believe that government is just a huge issue because they get stepped on, they get trampled on, they get destroyed. And so it's just this big push to, to push us towards democracy. And so how do we fight that? How do we actually get people to go, 
in the big cities, how do you change the mindset? How do you change the views and say, look, you guys want it at the state level? That's great. I know that you want it at the state level. Keep it to your city. Keep it to your county because you shouldn't be hurting the people out here. When you when you see um, specifically when we talk about the minimum wage and the growing the minimum wage to $15 an hour or $33 an hour, like what they're discussing in New York City um, or New York State, when, when you push for that, right – in the, in the cities, it doesn't make as big of an impact as it does in the rural areas because now those rural areas have been kind of scaping by. They've been, been surviving on their own. There's much more impact to those areas. There's a lot less people. And so when you raise when you raise up those wages, right, they have to drastically change their prices as compared to in the city. And it hurts everybody. It hurts everybody. It hurts them more on the outside. So – we have to figure out a way to change this. We have to figure out how to, to actually change those conversations from let's not push it to the federal level. Let's not push it to the state level. Let's, let's maybe even not even push it to the county level. Let's push it to the city level. Um, and that's that's something that I I want to hear from you guys. I want you guys to reach out to me. Um, send me a message on Facebook. Send me a DM on Twitter. Um, drop a comment now. What do you think that we can do as a society in order to get people to realize, hey, look, I – you want to implement change, implement it in your small area. Don't implement it on everybody um, just because you think it will do well. If you, if it works well in your area, then you should be happy and content. If it doesn't work well in your area, you should be glad that you're not destroying the lives of others. And then we can really get into what the founders believed. And that was that they believed it more on the state level, but, but I want to bring it down to an even smaller level as a, as a good libertarian that I am. And, and that is that, the founders believed that each state was supposed to be their separate separate country effectively. You were a Virginian. You were a South Carolinian. You were a North Carolinian. You were a Georgian. Um, and that was like your area. That was your – that was supposed to be your experiment. And so they could be tra- drastically different and that was fine. But what we've done is – and, and the political movement has been to push everything up to the federal level and to make these changes across the board. And that's not been effective. That's not been helpful. That's not been – it just doesn't make – it makes it to where the, the people in the rural states, right, the Midwest, they're not having to subsidize the bigger states. Um, thankfully, from the, the tax – uh, tax and jobs cuts or tax cuts and jobs act. Um, we saw the the salt tax, the state and local taxes have a have a cap on them. To where now it's hurting the bigger states, the bigger tax states, rather than the the small rural states that kind of stay out their their government stays out of the way. But what are you guys' thoughts? How do we help change those ideas? Um, how do we how do we fight against that stigma that we need to push it up to the to the federal level? If you also if you guys don't want to type it into the comments, you guys want to call it in. Feel free to call it in. Uh, phone numbers right there up at the top. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit around for about five more minutes with you guys, if not. Um, but the phone number is eight zero two six seven one five three two eight. Feel free to call in with your thoughts, your opinions, and your views on that. Um, maybe maybe you guys just aren't talking over there. And, and let me let me see if that pops up. Um, I want to see if my own comments pop up on there as well. <clears throat> but it's it's a big thing. Oh. oh, here's one last here's one last thing that I wanted to wanted to cover to you guys. Um, Thomas Massey shared this out. This bill was um, 
The bill was to prioritize the efforts of and enhance coordination among United States agencies to encourage countries in Central and Eastern Europe to, to diversify their energy sources and supply routes, increase Europe's energy security, and help the United States reach its global energy security goals and for other purposes. So what the purpose of this bill was, was to take money from Americans, so to tax you, to take it from your labor, take it from, from your uh, consumption taxes, take it from any way and every way possible that the government takes your money, and to be able to send this over to overseas, over to Europe. So we're, we're trying to make, uh, make Europe great again um, by, by sending our money over to the other side. Only 24 members in the House voted no. 24 members in the House voted no. Thomas Massey, of course, was one of them. But why is it that we are, we, the taxpayer here in America, are subsidizing other countries, right? When we provide foreign aid, it just means that you're a slave to that state just as much as you're a slave to our state. Disgusting. Reprehensible. Repugnant whatever you want to call it, this is not the way of America. Taxation without representation? Yeah, this is definitely not it. Um, I'm, I'm just so tired of the grandstanding. I'm so tired of all this stuff. And I, I we, need a, we need to see some change, and we need to see it soon, because um, either that or we need to see some yellow vests out here in America. Um, so let's, let's hope that one day we'll, we'll grow some balls and uh, – We'll step up and we'll have the revolution. We'll, we'll uh, water the tree of liberty with the blood of, of tyrants and patriots. Um, because I don't, I don't see any other way out of this. But with that, guys, I'm gonna head, I'm gonna wrap up the show. I think I want to thank you guys all for coming in tonight and uh, for being here. Um, once again, a big shout out to Muddy Waters of Media or Muddy Waters Media for allowing me to come on here and talk to you guys. Thank you guys all for coming in for for sharing your opinions, your views, for commenting, for uh, interacting with one another. Uh, it's been it's been truly amazing to have you guys back. I'm glad that I am in uh, much better health this time than I am was before. Um, it also didn't hurt that I was I was pulling the run DMC. Uh, laying, I was laying in the bathtub just before I came out here, went live with you guys, laying in the bathtub, posting some stuff to, to the social media world. And uh, felt like total run DMC, so that probably helped me make make me feel a little bit better. I got the heat pad on. We're we're living a good life right now. Um, but I want to thank you guys again for coming out here, um, and thank you to Muddy Waters Media. Thank you to Spike and Matt. I didn't mess it up this time. Um, it, it's it's amazing to be here with you guys. So thank you all, and I hope you guys all have a great night. And I'll see you guys this Friday night. And uh, make sure you guys don't make sure you guys take. Last, last little lesson learned. Make sure you guys take the the severity in your discernment today of all the posts and all the news that you're seeing because it's April Fool's Day. Make sure you take that discernment and you move it on to every day of the year. Start discerning all the news that you guys are getting. So with that, have a great night. I'll see you guys, uh, see you guys next time at Friday night, uh, right around 7 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, make sure you guys check out Money Wars of Freedom tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and then Matt's got his show on Thursday night. So tune in for that. And uh, with that guys, I will catch you guys all later. Have a great night and I'll see you all soon.